Everyone else, good morning, and encourage you to open up your Bibles, if you have one, to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you ever forget your Bible or don't have one, there's ones in the back or in the lobby that you can grab on the way in, and um, if you don't have one at home, feel free to take one of those home with you, and that that is our gift to you. But Exodus chapter 20 is where we will be at this morning. Now, before we get into the Word, let's, let's first consider and acknowledge something here. Let's, let's acknowledge how our past experiences with certain people have greatly influenced how we feel about certain names, okay? Now, for those of you that have had the privilege of naming children, you've experienced this. I'm sure there were certain names regardless of how great of a meaning they have, regardless of how biblically significant the names are, I'm sure there were some names that were not even in your consideration because there was someone with that name in your past that, to put it nicely, you just really did not enjoy at all. And they have now ruined that name for you Forever. Certain, certain names for you just carry too much baggage in our lives. But other names can carry really good memories and really good feelings and bring up really good emotions when you hear someone's name. Uh, for example, in my life, it seems that wherever I have lived and whatever season of life I have been in, um, I have always had a friend named Kevin. Okay, so growing up really little, uh, when I was really, really little up in Fishers, there was another uh, boy in the neighborhood, and we were friends, and his name was Kevin. Uh, and then we, we moved out to California for my elementary and middle school years, and one of my closest friends at my church out there in California, his name was Kevin. Uh, and then we moved back to Indiana for eighth grade and high school, south side of Indianapolis, and one of my best friends in high school and into college, and even now in life, his name is Kevin. And then later in life, as God started calling me into ministry, uh, helping me grow up and to to be a man, uh, wouldn't you know it, God sent me another Kevin, who many of you know as Pastor Kevin. And, uh, And so wherever I've been, whatever season of life, it seems like God has sent a Kevin. Now, side note on Pastor Kevin. Pastor Kevin right now, he is with his dad at the Cleveland Clinic uh, his dad had another brain surgery this week, and Kevin is caring for him, and, and, and things went well, uh, but uh, he needed to extend his stay there. And so right now what Pastor Kevin is doing, he's working ahead in the Ten Commandments. He's on number five, honor, honoring your father and your mother, okay? Uh, he's, 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 he's working ahead. He, he, he's, he's ahead of the game on us, all right? Uh, we're going to get to that, and right now Pastor Kevin is living that out. He is, he is honoring his father and caring for him. Um, And side note, you all will want to be here when we cover the Honor Your Father and Mother commandment. That's going to be Sunday, July 16th, okay? Uh, Especially if you don't have a good plan for your family, like what they're going to do with you when you get older and need to to be cared for, you're going to want all your kids to be here. July, Sunday, July 16th, offer to buy them lunch. It will be worth it in the long run for them to sit under God's word and hear uh, that good command from him. Uh, but yes, Pastor Kevin, God has always sent a Kevin in my life. And so I'm pretty sure the next time I meet a Kevin, um, I'm just going to be honest and upfront with him. Like, hey, man, I know we're just getting to know each other. I don't want to be too forward, but I think we're going to be close. So let's just, let's just set up the times to like, get down to the deep stuff of life because that's where this is going, okay? Now, I, I don't know why I've been friends with so many Kevins, probably because it is a popular name. 
okay? Probably because I watched Home Alone too many times. I don't know. I've just been thinking about the name Kevin. Uh, But for me, the name Kevin, it carries a a positive connotation, good feelings. I have good memories. I would have no problem naming, if we were to continue to have kids, I would have no problem naming one of them Kevin. Uh, It would have to be a silent J at the beginning because, you know, all of our boys are named J, but I'm good with that. Like, Kevin has, has been well represented in my life, okay? Those who have borne that name have honored the name. It, it sits well with me. Uh, but then there are other names, you know, that have been misused, have been misrepresented, and now in my mind are just ruined. You know, I meet someone with a certain name, and it's like, oh, I've, oh, I've, met, I've met one of those before. You know, I've met a Tim before. I know what we're getting into. And I'm sorry, you were that's the first person I made eye contact with that I knew wouldn't mind, Okay. Like, oh, I, I've met this kind of person before. I know where this is headed. But you see, there is something important about representing and honoring a name. Because in this commandment that we get to today, in this good word from God today, this, this word from God is not primarily about how non-Christians need to stop using God's name as a curse word which I would guess is probably what most of us coming into this morning have considered this command to be all about, that we just need to stop using God's name as a curse word. And, and listen, that, that, that's maybe a part of it. But this word is primarily about how God's people are to represent, use, and honor God's name in a way that accurately reflects his character to his world. This word is about those who bear the name of Christ, about how we love him by honoring his name in how we talk and in how we walk. And what I mean by that, how we talk and how we walk, I mean how we talk and how we live. But we're going to go with the rhyming words so it sticks better. But are we honoring God by how we talk and how we walk in our lives? And so we are into this third command of the Ten Commandments in a, in a series we're calling The Ten Good Words from Our Father. We started this series a few weeks ago, first by trying to understand that as followers of Jesus, what our, what our relationship to the law of God should be. Sometimes it's confusing for us to know how we relate to the law of God and in, the old, in the Old Testament. And what we've been seeing with each command is that the law was given to lead us to Jesus, and then Jesus frees us to go and obey, delighting in the law. And we talked about how the moral law of God, which is what we find in these 10 good words, these are still very applicable to the life of a believer, not for our justification, but for our joy, right? These these are not the things that we come and we check off our list and now we're right with God. No, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But now in these 10 good wise words, we get to look to them and apply them, not for our justification, but for our joy. For we know that the New Testament sums up the law as as love God and love others. But you see, it's in the law that we find out what that actually means. What, What does it look like to love God? How does God want us to love him? And we start to see that be answered in these first four commands of the 10. And then followed by six commands that are showing us how to love our neighbor as ourself. And so we will hopefully continue to see this morning that the moral law of God still does have a role in a believer's life. For the law, you remember this, we've talked about this, the law does four things. The law reveals to us the heart of our Father. The law exposes the sin that remains in our own hearts. 
The law leads us to Christ. And then freed and empowered by the grace of God through Christ, the law guides us in how to live and how to love wisely and freely as children of God. And we remember, we're jumping into Exodus 20. These are not 10 good words. to. These are not 10 instructions on how to get out of Egypt and how to get out of slavery in Egypt. No, these are 10 good words for a free people to stay free and to not go back to living like slaves. And so last week we talked about how we wrongly try to make God more like us, right? We want him to be conformed into our image so that he can seem more completely comprehensible and controllable and comfortable to us. But we learned last week that as his image bearers, true worship is not us trying to, is not, is not us trying to make God into our image, but instead God making us into his. And so my question, kind of follow-up question for you is, were, were you truly worshiping this past week? Were you being made more and more into the image of Christ? Were you remembering and experiencing the steadfast love of the Lord, the loyal love of the Lord that we learned about last week? Are you experiencing that? Are you enjoying that? Are you extending that to others? And we're hopefully in these 10 good words starting to see God's will for us. He wants us to worship him and him alone. He wants us to enjoy his steadfast love and be made more like him. And now this morning, as we come to the third command, we see that God desires for us to honor his name in how we talk and how we walk. Because when we do, not only is he glorified, but some really good things happen in us and in his world as well that we'll see this morning. So let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help. And then we will we'll jump in. Father, this is your word, and these are your people. And we ask, Lord, that you would feed us and nourish us, sustain us with your word. Oh God, may you work in our hearts in such a way that, that your will, your law, your commands, that they would be a delight to us, that we would see them as blessings for us, that we would understand who you are. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. You've, you've designed us. You've, you've created this world. You know how things work best. And so may we come and enjoy the truth that you have for us. May you transform our lives. May you stir up in our hearts a greater love for you and for one another. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Exodus 20, verse 7. One verse today, as Pastor Gary made reference to. We're just going to get one verse. That's all right. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let's try to understand what this means in a a couple of steps. Okay, first step is to understand that when God speaks of his name, he is speaking of his character, his very nature and character. The name of the Lord equals the character of the Lord. Because God's name 
represents who he is. God's name represents his character. You see, the Hebrew people who this word first was coming to understood that someone's name represented their very nature and character. And prior to these ten words being given, God had already at the burning bush revealed his special covenantal name to Moses. We'll have this up on the screen from Exodus 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Yahweh, the personal name of God, oftentimes translated as capital L-O-R-D in our English translations. It is a name in English that means I am who I am, which might be a confusing phrase to us, but what he's revealing to us about his nature and character through that name is that he is the self-existent one that he is the self-sufficient one, and that he is the all-powerful one. That's what he's teaching us and revealing to us about him when he gives us his name, Yahweh, I am who I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the self-sufficient one. He is the all-powerful one. This means that the existence of all other physical or spiritual beings is reliant upon our God, Yahweh, the self-existent one. All other physical or spiritual beings are dependent upon our God, Yahweh, the self-sufficient one. And all other physical or spiritual beings have limited power because our God, Yahweh, is the all-powerful one. This is our God, the great I Am the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one, the all-powerful one. Oh, you see, he was telling Moses his name at the burning bush, but in revealing his name, he revealed to us so much about his nature and character. So that's, that's step one in trying to understand this command that God's name represents God's character. And many Jewish people won't even write or say the name Yahweh for fear of breaking this command. But this command is not prohibiting the use of God's name. It is prohibiting the misuse of God's name. And so step two in understanding this command is understanding what it means to take the name of God in vain. What does that mean? And that word vain or in vain, it means, it means to empty. It means nothing. It means worthlessness. It means for no good purpose. And so God is commanding here that his people, yes, not use his name for evil purposes, but but also that we wouldn't use his name flippantly or for no really good reason at all. God is telling us not to empty out or hollow out his name. Because when we do that, 
we are disrespecting and bearing false witness about who he is. And we're doing that to both ourselves and to the world around us. You see, if you misrepresent someone or lie about someone in how you talk about them or how you live uh, in light of them, you actually start to believe the misrepresentation. (laughs) And others around you start to believe the misrepresentation as well. And so that's why this is such a a, a serious warning and such a, a, a dangerous command to disobey because when we take the Lord's name in vain, when we misrepresent his nature and character, we actually, when we do that enough, we actually start to believe those misrepresentations about God. And the world around us starts to believe those misrepresentations about God. You use God's name flippantly enough and you start to be very casual about who you think God is. You start to lose all reverence and honor and respect for who he is. And the people around you start to lose those things as well. And so what does this look like in our lives today? How do we commonly take the Lord's name in vain? Well, let's start with the low-hanging fruit and probably what most of us think of when we think of this, this command, and that is that we shouldn't be using the Lord's name as curse words. Now, as we will see, this command is it, it's so much more than that, but it certainly does include that. And so this would include using Jesus or God or Lord or Christ or a combination of those words in whatever creative order you can put together in your frustration and anger and use those words as curse words. And I remember I was on a mission trip to Jamaica uh, years ago, and I was speaking to a group of elementary-age kids, and I was telling them all about Jesus. I was telling about how he was the Savior of the world. I was telling them about how they can trust him, and I was going on proclaiming, proclaiming Jesus multiple times and in multiple ways, and in every time I did, every time I proclaimed the name of Jesus, all the kids would giggle and kind of whisper to one another. And I thought, huh, that was you know, kind of weird. I wasn't trying to be funny, but I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep going. And, and I, and I proclaim the name of Jesus again, and they would all whisper and, and giggle and, and laugh together. And I kept going. I did it again. I proclaimed the name of Jesus. They all whispered and giggled and kind of laughed together. And then finally, one of the kids just came out and said it. And there's like, hey, he, he said, you, you sure are cursing a lot. <laughs> and I was kind of taken aback, like, oh man, like what, what did you think I was saying? And every time I was saying Jesus, every time I was saying Christ, they thought I was cursing at them. You see, many of them had only heard the name of Jesus as a curse word, used flippantly by someone in their anger or frustration. And they had heard it over and over again, and the name had been emptied of its glory and its power. It had been hollowed out to just another curse word to use in a moment of frustration. And it had resulted then in them hearing the gospel being proclaimed and they weren't hearing it as a blessing. They thought I was cursing at them. Whereas to someone like me who was, who was blessed and fortunate to be raised in a home that loved Jesus and honored Jesus and since I was a young child, Jesus has been the sweetest name I know because Jesus, the name Jesus, it actually means the Lord saves, God saves. It is the gospel, Jesus. But as I proclaimed it, 
it initially sounded to them like a curse and not a blessing. And can you imagine how, how grieved God is over that? Over children being hindered from coming to him because those around them had been misusing his name? Now, he can redeem that. God's grace can restore everything that we've broken and made a mess of. And you can lift up some prayers for those kids right now. I've prayed for them as well. And I trust the Lord's doing great things in their lives. And I wanted to share that example, though, with you. I realize that's, that's a bit of an extreme example. However, we're going to see that not only by us, the, how we use our words, but also just how we live how that can be very similar to us actually cursing the name of Jesus and how that negatively affects our kids and those around us. But I realize that that exactly is, is kind of an extreme example, probably something you can't relate to because I'm going to guess, I mean, I know most of you, I'm guessing most of you are not frequently using God's name as curse words around your house. And if you are, you do need to confess and repent and let's, let's move on from that. But I'm guessing that's probably not you. But what about the, the, the rampant use of, of, oh my God, OMG? We just throw God's name around like it's nothing, flippantly. And it's not a, it's not a oh my God, oh my God. It's not a crying out to the Lord and, and, and calling out to him. It's just a, a casual, flippant, oh my God. Now, I realize that's just a habit for some. And, and we're, we're not going to uh, turn anyone into the OMG police around here, all right, and start policing that, okay? But what I want you to do is I want you to pause and think, like, when you say that, like, what is that saying about how you think about God? And how is that training you and others to how you think about God? Because the more you do that, the more and more you and others around you start using God's name in a flippant, light, careless manner, the more you will find you start thinking of God in a careless, flippant, casual manner. The more you'll start losing reverence and respect for God, little by little, just chipping away at it, little by little. And I think we all do this more than we realize. We, we just use God's name flippantly. Probably the most common Christian way to do this is in our prayers. I was challenged once to, to not use God's name as a comma in my prayers, right? We just, when we don't know what to say next, we say, Lord, Jesus, God, Father. You know, we just kind of throw it in everywhere. Are we too flippant with how we use God's name? And is it actually training us in how we think about God, what we believe about God? But I, re I really have no desire for us to be nitpicky with everyone else about our, our prayer life or how we use God's name. That's not, not my goal. What I want us to first see is just how frequently we in our sin turn from God's will for us. But along with that, I want us to see just how glorious the gospel is and just how amazing it is that Jesus came to be the perfect law keeper for such great law breakers like us. 
And so let us be, be spurred on to not take the Lord's name in vain. Why? Why is this so important? Well, it's so important because when we take the Lord's name in vain, we misrepresent his character to ourselves and to others, and then we start to believe those misrepresentations. And what we believe about God is the most important thing in our lives. Well, how else do we commonly do this? Maybe you don't use God's name flippantly or lightly. How else do we commonly do this? Another way we take the Lord's name in vain is by swearing false oaths or making promises in his name that we don't intend to keep. This is actually the category you probably find the most Bible verses about. This is the Old Testament and New Testament have a lot of passages speaking into this. Um, And so as you come across those passages about oaths and things like that, I want you to be able to connect those to this moral command of God because Jesus never forbid people from making meaningful commitments or covenants with one another. What he was confronting was the fact that people were making promises to one another and swearing by God's name in order to convince a person that they were telling the truth, but they never intended to keep the promise. You see, people were using God's name to help them be more convincing liars. And so not only does Jesus not want us to lie, as we'll see later on in these 10 good words, but he doesn't want us to drag God's name into the lie either. And so if you are making a commitment or a promise, you need to keep it. You need to be a person of your word. If you stand before family and friends and God and commit yourself in marriage or in a commitment to a church or you're in a courtroom with a hand on the Bible... Or if you're all alone, behind closed doors, our God is everywhere, God sees you, even in that circumstance, you need to keep your word. Because when you don't, you take the Lord's name in vain. We also take the Lord's name in vain when we use his name to advance our own agendas. This is what Many false prophets, false teachers oftentimes do, but we're all tempted to do this at times as well. We use God's name to advance our own agenda. We say things like, God told me to do this. God said to do this. We play the God card to trump whatever we might, you know, this might really not line up with scripture. This might be going against what my pastors and church are saying, but I'm going to play the God card here. God told me to do this. Now listen, I'm, I'm all for listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But you need to measure that up with Scripture in a community of believers under the care of biblical elders before you just go following your heart and saying God wants you to do something that might be clearly not according to his will, according to Scripture. And so be careful not to use God's name to advance your own agenda. Maybe a, a, a silly example of this was, was uh, I saw this a lot, saw it some in college. So going to a Christian university, uh, you got to watch out for this. If, if a guy is trying to uh, date a girl who's out of his league and things are not going well, the oftentimes go-to phrase would be, hey, God told me we're supposed to be together. So young women, do not, I I mean, you you send the guy to me if he's saying that, okay? Because maybe he is, but we we need to kind of discern through some things in that. 
And young men, I can sympathize with you. I understand it's sometimes difficult to discern between hormones and the Holy Spirit when you're in that season of life. But let's be careful that we do not use his name to advance our own agenda. And we, I know that's kind of a silly example, but we all do this. Don't, don't in an argument just play the God card or even the biblical card. Well, this is biblical to advance your own agenda, unless if you can't, I mean, if you're going to play the biblical card, you need to be able to open up your Bible and show someone what the Bible actually says and why this is the biblical thing. And as your pastors, we, we try to be really careful about this because this is something that people in ministry can easily fall into if they're really trying to advance their own agenda. And I hope that we are setting a good example for you in this. So as we, as we come to you with things like, like building and where we gather and what elders to add and decisions to make, like we, we come cautiously, not, not in a, thus saith the Lord, you got to get on board with this or, or else you're against God. But no, we come with, hey, we've been praying about this. We've been seeking counsel on this. We've been discussing this. And we feel like this is where God is leading, but we want you to be praying about this as well. We want to talk about this more with you. I mean, at some points in the life of a church, we do have to make decisions. We do have to take steps of faith. But we're not going to ram it down your throat and say, God told us to do this. And if you're not on board, then, then you're disobeying God. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. His name should not be used to advance our own agenda. Politicians should not say God bless America unless they truly mean it. I'm all for people saying that, but they should truly mean it. They should not just flippantly throw God's name out there. Do not use God for your own purposes. Don't empty his name of its power and its holy character. I've heard of two spouses. This is not anyone in our church, not anything in the last few years, okay? So just clear that your mind from anyone that's met with me in the last few months, okay? This is not anyone in here. But I heard of two, two spouses yelling scriptures at each other in order to win an argument, each convinced they had the biblical upper hand. And they both lost because both were taking the Lord's name in vain. And if you do that long enough, you throw God's name around flippantly, falsely, or to advance your own agenda, you do that long enough, you will start to believe some wrong things about God. You misrepresent God enough, you and your kids start to believe those misrepresentations. You do that long enough in a society, in a family, in a church. You speak of him flippantly and use him for your own agenda. You do that for a few generations. Don't be surprised if people start having some really wrong views about God. Do you see the danger of taking the Lord's name in vain? But here's, here's really how the people of God most commonly take the Lord's name in vain. We haven't even gotten to the most common way yet. And we covered it when we went through Romans. As Paul is exposing in Romans 2, the people of God who knew God's will, enforced it on others, but lived contrary to it. So follow along on the screen, Romans 2, 17. The Apostle Paul writes, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, 
And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Church, the biggest cause of people believing wrongly about God is not your coworker who uses the name of Jesus as a curse word. That's not the biggest cause. It is Christians who claim the name of Jesus with their lips, who praise the name of Jesus on Sunday mornings, and then go out from here and deny him and disrespect him with how they live. Some church-going people, their whole life is one big curse word. When you live a hypocritical double life, you take the Lord's name in vain. When you say that Jesus is Lord, but do not live like Jesus is Lord, you take the Lord's name in vain. When you teach your kids truths from Scripture and you have no desire to follow them yourself, you take the Lord's name in vain. And listen, that messes some kids up. And I I think this is why pastor's kids kind of have the, the bad reputation that we have. Because I think this is a very dangerous thing for pastors to easily fall into because they're, they're paid and expected to lift up the name of God. But if their hearts aren't right in it, they're lifting up God's name in vain. You do that enough and you live hypocrisy enough around kids, they're going to start having some really misrepresented views of God, really wrong views of God. But this can happen even with non-pastors as you lift up the name of God, but you do it in vain. When you want to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness from others and God, but you withhold grace and mercy and forgiveness to others, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. When you take the Lord's Supper as a renewal of your commitment to him, but have no intention on living for him outside of these walls, you take the Lord's name in vain. When you know that God's will for your life is to love him and others, but you continually come in here finding loopholes to justify the hatred you're harboring in your heart, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. But church, see God's God's heart in this good word. Remember, he, he is our creator. He is our sustainer. He knows how life works best. He knows that when we use his name for no good purpose, that we little by little chip away at it and empty it of its power in our lives, and that causes us and others to believe wrongly about him. And so he gives us a warning with this command, as he did last week as well. Look back at Exodus 20, verse 7, to see this warning. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless 
who takes his name in vain. You see, there are consequences for breaking God's law. We stand rightfully guilty and condemned before God because we all have broken this law. Now, the sad thing is some people will continue to break this law throughout their entire lives. And you remember those people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7 that get to the end. They're like, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, those are the people that continue to take the name, the, the name of the Lord in vain all throughout their lives. They said, but we did this in your name. We did this in your name. We did this in your name. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. There will be some who continue to take the Lord's name in vain their entire lives, even up until the point where they meet Jesus face to face. But this is the good news, church. God saw that we were a people who took his name in vain and emptied it out of its meaning and hollowed it out of its holiness. And God's remedy to this sickness of our hearts was to come and empty himself and to humble himself, and to come to earth, and to take on human flesh, and take the sin and the guilt of his people, and take it upon himself up on the cross, and defeat Satan's sin and death, and three days later rise from the dead. And so hear these words that the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, and see if you can make any connections to this good word we get from God in Exodus 20. From Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, you see, Jesus came and emptied himself for us who empty his name so often. So that when we look to faith in him, we can be forgiven for dishonoring his name and now be freed to honor his name through how we talk and how we walk. And so how do we now, as children of God who've been forgiven and freed from taking the Lord's name in vain, how do we now learn to love, to honor his name? And that's where I want to finish this morning's sermon. And thankfully in Christ, we are given the power to honor his name. We are given a new purpose in every situation And we are given the protection to enjoy from God as we honor his name forever. So let's first talk about the power. The power we need to honor God's name will forever be found in prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he said in Matthew 6 verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
You see, when we start believing wrongly about who he is, we also start believing wrongly about who we are. I mean, are we God? We sometimes live like we are. Are we animals? Are we slaves? Are we free? Are we male? Are we female? We don't know when we are not believing rightly about God. And when we pray, we are reminded of who he is and who we are. We are reminded in prayer that we are not God. We are not Yahweh, the great I am. We are not the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one, and the all-powerful one. And so just the act of going to prayer, we are reminded of who God is and who we are and that we are not him. And we are taught by Jesus that through faith in him, we can now call God our Father. Our Father. And if, if he is our Father, then we are his sons and daughters. That same self-existent, self-sufficient, all-powerful God that spoke from Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning is not any less powerful or holy today. But in Christ, God has welcomed us in to know him and to be in a relationship with him and to call him Father. And we can now call him Father because in Christ, he is our Father. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to make holy. It is the opposite of taking the Lord's name in vain and emptying it. I'm not sure if you ever saw that connection, but it, to hallow, hallow your name is to make it more holy. Father, make your name more holy and more set apart in my heart and in your world. Father, reorder my affections so that Jesus is the sweetest name that I know. Church, we don't always know how to pray according to God's will, but this is for sure according to God's will. God, help us stop hollowing out your name, and instead may your name be hallowed in my life and in this church and in this city. The power that we need to honor God's name for, our, for forever is found in prayer. Will we pray? Will we pray? In Christ, we are given the power to honor God's name forever, and we find it in prayer. In Christ, we are also given a new purpose in every situation. Paul summarizes our new purpose in every situation pretty concisely in Colossians 3. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, this is our new purpose in every situation we are in. As Christians, we have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have now taken on the name of our God. I'm meeting with a few of our young people these next few weeks talking about baptism. That's one of the things that happens at baptism. We are publicly proclaiming that we have taken on the name of God. And therefore now, whatever we do, we are to do as his representatives, as ones who are reflecting his nature and character to his world. 
This is, our, this is our purpose. And whatever small thing or whatever big thing we do, we represent Christ. We are, we are little Christ. We are little anointed ones. We are Christians. We bear his name. What a great honor. What a great privilege. What a great energizing thing that is to go into whatever sphere of life or whatever place God has called us to go and be a representative of Christ. I was reminded of this recently, uh, this weekend. Um, Jackson is, is going to play uh, on the, the Franklin Little League All-Star team. And so we got our new jerseys, and I'm helping coach. And so we got these jerseys that say Franklin on them. And we got a hat that says Franklin on it. And we're going to go to a tournament with people from all different cities and places. And, and the Little League guys were saying, hey, when you go to this tournament, you are now representing Franklin. You are wearing the name of Franklin. You are representing us and the Little League in Franklin when you go to this tournament. So play hard, be a good sport, play by the rules, encourage one another, like represent us well. And Jackson was sharing, uh, he was just saying, That's, it's cool to be able to represent Franklin. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is cool. It's, 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 there's a bit of an honor there, you know? But how much greater is it that as Christians, we represent the name of Christ? To the world around us. There might be people in your life who the closest they've ever been to God and knowing him is when they are in your presence, when they are next to the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. I mean, that just, that totally transforms and energizes whatever circumstance you're in, whatever sphere of work you're in. If you've been praying that God would, would send a representative of him to your workplace to be an influence for Christ and to represent him well, like, it's, it, he has, and it's you. So lean into that. Enjoy that. See, God, this new God-given purpose you have, whether it be with your family or in your neighborhood or in your work life or in your school or on your sports teams, like you go bearing a name that's bigger than any school or any team, like you go bearing the name of Christ. In Christ, we are now given the, the power to honor God's name forever. We're given a new purpose in honoring God's name in every situation but get this, we are also given protection to enjoy as we honor God's name forever. Because when we quickly run to God and trust in his name, and you remember, his name is, is the same, we're talking about his character. When we trust in who he is, we get to enjoy the protection and safety that honoring his name provides us. I'm going to leave you with a proverb. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. This is what most of us are looking for in life. We're looking for safety. We feel stressed. We feel like we're in survival mode. We, we, we're trying to find safety in our relationships and in church and in work and in every place. We're scrambling for comfort and safety. We want to feel like we are safe. 
And here God provides us the protection and safety that we're longing for. Remember the name of the Lord equals the character of the Lord. And so when you feel unsafe, when you feel insufficient, when you feel insecure, run to remembering and trusting in the character of God. Be quick to go to the Lord and trust in the name of the Lord, meaning to trust in his nature and character. We don't always know why God does what he does or allows what he allows. And some of you, it's like you're running around outside the strong tower trying to find answers to all your whys, and the enemy is coming to attack, and it's like, hey, run to the strong tower. Run to the strong tower. God doesn't tell us to figure out the why in order to enjoy his protection and feel safe. No, he says to trust in who he is. Run to the Lord and trust in who he is. I don't always know why he does what he does or why he allows certain things to happen in our lives. But that's not where we find his protection and enjoy his safety. We find his protection and enjoy his safety in running to and resting in who God is. The name of the Lord. His character. For our God is the great I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the self-sufficient one. He is the all-powerful one. And this great God emptied himself for you and for me who had emptied and dishonored his name more times than we're even aware of. He emptied himself so that we could be filled with his spirit. And he now invites us to call him our father. Oh, may we be quick to go to and enjoy conversations with our Father and ask Him each day to make His name more holy in our lives. May we, with hearts full of gratitude, do everything in the name of Jesus as His representatives in His world. And may we, whenever we feel insecure or in danger or unsafe, may the name of the Lord be our strong tower that we run into and find safety. And so, church, may we honor the name of the Lord and how we talk and how we walk for his glory and our joy. Let's pray.